Apologies, we are now back on air. Should we start again? <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, yeah, that's and that's all for Live Radio this year. We'll catch you next I love the chat room. Okay. Commander Thane blunders again. Yeah, so is that is that a thing with Sam with Samcast? Does it just occasionally change its settings in the background without telling you? Because I haven't touched. Not it. really. It, all of these programs are a bit temperamental. For if you close them down after setting things, they stick and they stick for ages until you don't check it. And then when you don't check it, is the one time that they've all switched and changed and randomised. I think there's that kind of randomised settings option that you can put in them uh, that it comes in. Uh, so I think it's more to do with that. Awesome. Well, hopefully we are working properly now. Okay, so rather than just uh, go back to the beginning and start all over again, uh, you haven't mentioned much. We'll just talk a little bit about Star Wars Episode Seven without doing any particular spoilers. You can get that if you want to download the podcast and find out a little bit what the guys have been up to. Apart from Grant, I keep on asking what you've been up to and then completely ignoring your answer and going and talking about something else. So let's try this again. Grant, what have you been up to this week other than seeing Star Wars? Well, yeah, I saw that today. That was awesome. So obviously this is the, the rundown of the school week. Uh, school finished up today for Caleb. He's been ill the last two days. But in the last couple of weeks, it's been, well, the last week, it's been trying to get the Docker's edit finished. And frankly, everything else in the entire world has cropped up um, in order to stop me from being able to do that, <laughs> which is a real frustration because it's sitting there halfway done and I just need, oh, I just need time to, to get in and through it, which is you know, hopefully going to come soon. Um, but, yeah, I've got no guarantees, so I really wanted that finished by tomorrow night. So just wait and see how that works. Um, I was involved, obviously, in Frontier's 24-hour stream with a bit of pieces and in the back room with you, Fozza, trying to solve your problem. Um, <laughs> it's been a bit of a, a week of uh, fighting technical battles, really, hasn't it? I have to say, I mean, uh, all kudos to you for actually managing to get to the bottom of why it was that I was the only member of the Orange Sidewinder that couldn't use our actual TeamSpeak uh, chat server without <laughs> anonymizing myself through a VPN. It turns out that our server had decided to <laughs> had decided to blacklist my IP, just my IP, no other IPs, just mine. Which, yeah, some of you might say, that's well, probably a good idea, but. Um, for no rhyme or reason that we could establish or our hosts could establish, I was completely blacklisted and could not connect um, for the last, what, three weeks? Something daft who, like that. Who, do, who did we give permission to do those kind of things? <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> you know, again, just, just like Chris Jarvis's settings change and, and occasionally my settings change and uh, for whatever reason on Friday when my Twitch stream just refused to run... Uh, without giving a nice big crash every five minutes for just you know, just because it wanted to, and that was really frustrating because you rely on these things to sort of work the same way they worked the previous week, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and I think you know the Teamspeak server just took exception to Fozza and decided that yeah, you know, you your name's not Bob, you're not coming in. Yeah, no. So I had to change it to Bob. I was Bob for the last three months, uh, three weeks. So, yeah. Anyway, should we crash on with the show, guys? Seeing as we've got off to such a great start for the Christmas episode. Let's. Uh... Say, it's not the first time <laughs> someone's taken exception to Fozzo, to be fair. So, uh... No, God, no. It's, <laughs> it's normal these days, let's be honest. Okay, let's, uh, let's bounce on and uh, quickly cover off uh, Mr. Brooks's Christmas dev update. Um this was quite a nice trip back down memory, uh, memory lane for uh, for the last year, where he's talking about the various things that uh, 
I was going to say makes him harder. That's not the way we want this podcast to go. So the things that he's ridiculously proud about over the last year, um, obviously, <laughs> some of the things he's picked out is the community goals. Uh, and I have to say the community goals would be uh, one of my highlights. I know we're going to talk about this in the main review, so let's not go into too much detail here for it. Um, but he says that community goals, especially the, uh, the Cerberus Plague, uh, were some of those highlights for the year now. I got into community goals after the Cerberus Plague. It was around about the same time, just shortly after. I never actually got involved in the plague itself. Did you guys get involved with that community goal? Unfortunately, they were too far away from where I was. Because um, normally for a community goal, if something's within sort of like 200 light years, then, yeah, I, I might make an effort, uh, empty empty the ship and try and get there in as few jumps as possible. But um, if it's over 200 light years away, then you end up spending uh, too long jumping over there. So the, I've, I've missed out on a few community goals uh, because of that. But when I have taken part in community goals, I've normally really enjoyed it. I think the yeah, elephant in the um, room is that none of us really contributed to community goals until Hutton. <laughs> That's uh, true. No, Hutton. no I, I used to be uh, quite good at community goals before Hutton came along. Uh, In fact, I wouldn't have the ship I had now without the community goals uh, that I got. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so uh, talk about Hutton. So the next ones are, in fact, the Hutton Orbital Mug and also the Battle for Lou. Um, Now, you guys are going to have to talk about that because I've just seen, I should have mentioned at the start of the show that I am actually home alone uh, at the moment and my daughter is getting some front teeth for Christmas. Not two, but four front teeth for Christmas. And she is now woken up and is sat up in bed howling. So I'm going to quickly nip off, see her, and then I shall come (laughs) back and join you guys as soon as I can. (laughs) So we need Michael's. Someone else needs Michael's dev update up then, because the boss is now gone. Here we go. Right then. Well, (laughs) looking at at the dev update, um, his highlight was the, he said one of the highlights was the Lou event. Uh, And I must admit that was the one big event, as far as I was concerned, which really made the community come alive. Uh, I mean, obviously, sorry, the, the Lou event is where they had the community goals and the um, and the wings really working together for the first time. Yes, yeah, see, I, I, I kind of have this weird memory of, of, of the last year. I, I was sort of feeling like Lou was... I thought Lou was the first community goal. Or was there one that predated? No, no, um... Oh, I can't remember what the first community goals were now. Oh, there was um, one to build a space station, wasn't there? Yeah, there, there, there was those kind of community goals first, but this was before Wings came in. Because mm. uh, uh, community goals were 1.1, Wings was 1.2. It just seemed that um, what happened with uh, 1.2 is that everything came together just right. And the one thing that crystallised that for me was the, uh, was the Lou event. And at that point, we had people winging up. We had people flying in wings, being organised for the first time, discussing tactics, taking out the the federal battleship or defending the federal battleship properly. And um, that that was fantastic. That's what I thought. This was really, really going to go move forward. Yeah, the the battle for Lou was one of those kind of ones where it just seemed to whether it was the humour of that you could then sing as you were going into supercruise that you're skip skip skipping to Lou, or the complete 
puns that were coming out, oh, no. uh, you know, that happened throughout that community goal, but it just kind of created the humour and encouraged people to go along and get involved. It was, I think, probably one of the more significant combat PvPs at that point. Mm, um, yeah. And the, a lot of the streams covered it, which was good, and we, we covered it as well, the Battle for Lou, and it seemed to hit Galnet right, and I think it just, you know, it got... People thinking, ah, these community goals are actually, they, they can be quite interesting and, and fun to do. Yeah. And they, from that point onwards, um, obviously the, the Hutton goal came along and that just really kind of gave us a great excuse and a great inroad for um, <laughs> getting as many people as we could possibly find to get involved and to make an event of it, um, which was great fun as well. Grant, yeah. so for, sorry for commanders meeting up. Um, are you you're streaming, aren't you? And are you, are you in open? I am streaming. I am in open. I'm heading to Shinrata Desra um, because I'm in one. I'm in a ship that we used last night in the stream for combat. Uh, it's basically a drop ship, and it's full of metal just to sort of bring the hull to about two meters thick. Uh, so, <laughs> okay. Just change. You got a nice planet in mind. No, I can't, I can't even figure out where one's... I went to my galaxy map and everything's unexplored because I'm a really lazy yeah. pilot. What's the one in What's the one in Lave? Is Lave 2 an ice planet or is it a rock? It's, it's uh, I think, um, arid. I think it's just yeah. like nakes, deserts and stuff. We could do Europa, but not everyone has the sole permit, do they? Um, no. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, vol- uh, in, while... while- while cow flies to Shinrata Desra, um, if you guys in the Lave IRC chat or possibly on Twitch want to get your heads together and have a think about a nice planet that, that Grant could head to, you could all head there and congregate there and let us know and we will come and join you. Um, obviously somewhere near Lave. Well, somewhere near... I don't know, what, what's your jump range going to be, cow? It's going to be a lot better than this. <laughs> this so was possibly, horrific. Yeah, somewhere between Lave and Shinrata Desra would be ideal. Um, yeah, going back to the CGs, I mean, I think, you know, we, we talk a lot about this being kind of, in some respects, um, elite dangerous, you know, the first kind of season, very much mm-hmm. Frontier kind of finding their feet. And I think actually this first year's, um, community goals have really taught you know they've got better and better over the course of the year and i think frontier have really learned what they can and can't do in terms of plot and engaging people in community goals and i think actually you know the, the, it's 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 definitely been a, a massive improvement and i'm looking forward to the stuff that comes up in the coming year um not least because they've been quite good recently mm-hmm. at starting to tease plot that is going to be relevant, you know, for, for, for the next year. The only thing that they haven't done well is they've started teasing stuff and they've had to kind of say, this stuff we're teasing, this is going to be really important in the coming year. And you sort of think, ah, oh, you probably, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to do that. You shouldn't need to say, these are my subtle plot hints. Look out for things yeah, well, you read about this. Um, but yeah, but the, the whole missing yeah, people I, thing and the alien artifacts is, you know, is, is ongoing and cool. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of um, oh, insecurity is the right wrong word, but they think that some important stuff is being missed, and it would be kind of nice if they, if they had the had the confidence to say, right, okay, that will just run in the background, mm. and the clever people could pick that up. Um, I mean, there has been stuff that I completely missed. I never knew about the missing, for instance, yeah, until I, a couple of days ago. 
I, I think <clears throat> they've had to kind of recently. I think they've been making an effort to win people back to Galnet because Galnet's mm. been there since quite early on. And for a long time, I think Galnet was entirely irrelevant and people got into the habit of not looking at it. So mm-hmm. Galnet became a th- feature of the game that people weren't going to, which meant that it's not somewhere that you concede subtle plot ideas because yeah. people are missing it. Um, and I think it's an ongoing challenge for them. I don't know how much they can 100% rely on Galnet to get this stuff out there. I do still feel like something else is needed. There was someone throughout the course of this last year was talking about those big kind of holographic screens on planets um, and, you know, stations should really be displaying kind of important Galnet headlines as you approach the stations. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that is a good idea. Whether or not it's easy to code is another matter. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's awkward if you want audio. I mean, what you really want is, as you fly into a station, there being a kind of audio version of the, the Galnet news. Um, but that's a huge content task that they would be taking oh, yeah. on. Uh, and I don't think Frontier would be keen to do it. But in terms of text, I mean, even if it's just something which encourages you to go and look at Galnet when you dock, that might be enough. A little bit like the um, Channel 4 have that new news website, don't they, which is just all animated GIFs. Do they? Have you oh, right. it? Yeah, it's this, I, can't even, I can't even remember what it's called, but it's basically a website which is... Basically, uh, the whole page is just a stream of animated GIFs which summarise a news headline. And then, obviously, if you Mm. see something that interests you, you click on it and it takes you to a full story. I mean, it's been criticised for being perhaps maybe a little bit frivolous. um, But I think, actually, as a kind of very quick sort of um, uh, condensation of the news... Uh, I think it's quite useful. And maybe maybe it needs something like that. It needs something, as you approach the station, you just see a thing that has like a news ticker that says new alien artifact discovered in, in wherever and means that as people are docking, they'll think, oh, when I get docked, I'll check that out. Because uh, yeah. it's, just, it's just signposting, isn't it? It's signposting people to the information that they want. Um, and, yeah. yeah. I mean, I must admit, when we were doing the retro leave, there was one game was attacking the fringe and when you docked it came up with a little ticker tape over uh, where the news section was just basically giving you little headlines yeah. and I, I do think if you have that kind of thing in there that might get people just to go oh I'd like to know more not that I'm quoting Starship Troopers or anything like that but <laughs> yeah it, it's, it's one of those things where which they've, they've got to try and get the balance right they need to they need to raise its profile, but then not make it as dry as possible when you actually read it. Which, uh, there has been times when you sort of think, okay, <laughs> too long, will not read. Yeah, that, that is a challenge that they've always had, but the, the problem is it's not got any interactive media. Um, mm. So video and voice always makes it different. Um, as I say, I think we've always sort of suggested that they should use a filter system so you could actually select your news feed filter to select the stuff you're interested in. So if you're interested in community goals in your local area, you really should be able to customise your feed rather than seeing a whole pile of stuff that you just don't really give to craps about. <laughs> so, you know, I don't want to hear about the powers news. I'm not involved in a power. Why do I want to hear about that? So I would untick all that, and then that would significantly reduce the amount of, of noise in there. And, uh, you know, it should have... There should be urgent news, and there should be not so urgent news, so that you can 
filter that kind of stuff and things that maybe are about war zones so you might want to have those filtered out and again restrict it by your current area or a current faction and if they had that kind of ability you'd be able to customise your new service for yourself and that could only make it more interesting and and easier to make it relevant to your gameplay as well which would be what we're looking for but yeah I think if you add multimedia to it then it makes it a bit more accessible. If you logged in and your ship came on and there's like, you know, a news broadcast sound and then urgent headlines were read out to you, then that's all you need. Just jumping just jumping in, are we happy with a um a Commander Babster has found an ice planet. Uh, it doesn't have a starport, but it does have a couple of bases. Um so there would be a point that people can kind of nav to uh and and fly to. Is that is that a good option? Uh, it's boot Yeah, that sounds good. Butas, B-H-U-T-A-S. Um, I haven't got the game open, so I can't. I can't look for it. Let's have a look. Uh, navigation. I just got. Uh, I've just got to equip my my Python with a fuel scoop to head there. Yeah, but um, yeah, but I think the you know, like like I say, I mean, it's all good ideas about just kind of making Galnet a little bit more um, a little bit more usable. Um, did he cover anything else up in the in the the Dev update. Um, obviously, talks a bit about power play. Now, this is an interesting point. I mean, yeah. I'm going to come on to the feedback that people um, have given up. Um, sorry, Grant. It's Butas A1E is the planet. It's obviously quite a complicated system. Um, yeah, I heard a comment about power play being a kind of um, a bit of a misstep, and, and Michael in his update even meant called it kind of a Marmite feature. Um, mm-hmm. I don't understand. I don't understand anyone kind of hating it. I mean, I, I can kind of get that you might see it and choose not to take part in it. Um, and and I, I suppose there is that kind of internet mentality of Frontier have been working on a feature that I'm not interested in. But, you know, that's, that's life, frankly. Well, but yeah, I, I, I don't get why well. Powerplay is a problem other than the fact that before Powerplay came out, a few of us had done quite a lot of work on, you know, getting a minor, getting basically getting the Federation, all the Federation minor factions we kicked out of the system over the course of about three or four months. And then within a week of power play, the front, the, the Federation were back in that system. And it's like, well, power play is just ridden kind of roughshod over all the stuff we've been doing in minor factions. But yeah, um, well, I was going to touch on this uh, later on, but it it does seem to me that the power play did seem, as you say, to rush shot over a whole load of influence that a lot of other people had. Mm. And I do believe that a lot of people um, felt that they had lost um, some control because it just came down to a numbers game. Uh, I do know of commanders that quit because basically they were just there playing, they, they ground the hell out of power play. And then found out that no matter how well they did, because it's a numbers game, the faction that they were up against just outnumbered them so much. Mm. What was the point of doing it? Yeah, there wasn't a there wasn't a, how should we put this? There wasn't the trench run chance <laughs> of yeah. winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and I think I think that is that is a kind of problem with it. Um, yeah. because it does just effectively come down to numbers. You've got more people who are able to do this, 
then yeah. Now, funny you should mention that. I was talking to a, a few people um, a couple of months ago, uh, and the, they have, there's a core people in charge of the Mahan faction. Mm. And instead of just going straight for it, these guys have got organized. So they've got a whole bunch of spreadsheets. They've got a whole um, strategy. So they, they know how to, to work the power play system to maintain that Mahan is ahead of the curve, if you see what I mean. Because everybody else goes, all right, that system there, I can run some missions in that system there, and that should help. But sometimes, because of the mechanics of power play, it means that that, that faction has overreached. Yeah. And that can cause some problems in, in later cycles. So it, it's good to see that, it's, it, that some people are getting a lot of, of play out of it. It's just at the moment, and I think this we'll touch on this later, is that it restricts my play too much. I'm at the moment, I'm flitting around the bubble and the galaxy, so to speak. If I joined a power, then I would be a target. And I'm not really... I've got enough on my plate at the moment without another <laughs> faction deciding to target. I think that's a lot of people's experience of powers, is that you join one, then you leave the dock port where you are, and within two jumps you've been blowing the crap up by people that were waiting there. And it, that's the off-putting factor of it. I, for me, it was, uh, I was in the middle of a trade run, I was making you know a million each jump, and uh, I was quite happily playing away, and I thought, well, the power that I'm working in, I mean, these, these both jumps are in that area, I might as well join the power and, and do some work there. And did so, and then my very next jump, I got blown up. So I left the power and got on with it. I got on with trading. So it's, I think I think the it's way they of, I think the way they should have done it is rather than tagging your wanted status um, just based on your allegiance to a to a particular faction, they should have. Oh no, made it wasn't it. that? Oh no, no, there was two bloody players swooped in and kicked the crap out of me. No, no, fair enough. Because they, <laughs> they, were, they were undermining in, my, in the particular systems I was working in. And while I wasn't a member of a power, they didn't give two hoots of what I did. But the minute I was, I didn't even get a chance to finish a trade run. It, just, it cost me about three million, so it took me another three runs to make the money back. But that's not, not just, a big just problem. Just solo, that fixes that problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what I was, was going to say is that the, the I think the way they should have done it is rather than just saying you are an enemy because you are aligned to a faction, they should have made it a bit like the community goals, where you're when you're undertaking a power play action, you sign up to doing that run, and then if someone scans you, it's the same as if you're carrying illegal cargo. As soon as you get scanned with illegal cargo, then you become wanted. And I think with the power play it should have been, it's okay for Imperial pilots to be in Federation space, but if they are undertaking a job for the Empire and they get scanned and discovered, then they become wanted. And I think that would have been a much better approach. Um, I might say something quite controversial here, but I think powers has now been superseded by something far more interesting and far more fun, which is the ability to work with the small factions. The player factions update is uh, a million times more engaging, and it's it's less um, bolt-on-y feeling. It's more about using the game mechanics to, to change systems, and it's a much longer game than power play. And I think it's more engaging. I think it's actually... Superseding power play, I think powers. Um, I think powers should, you know, stop. You, you only know, because Hutton's expanding. 
and you're pleased about yeah. that. Yes, that's, of course, <laughs> of course, that's <laughs> but, uh, no. But I think it's a valid point because the problem with, like you say, the problem with power play is is that for small p- groups of players or individual players, there are only ten factions, and the the option to the you know your ability to influence those ten factions is hugely limited because you're taking the entire player base and you're saying here are ten options for all of you. Whereas when you start bringing minor factions into it. There are minor factions for almost every star on the galactic map, or certainly in the core. So then suddenly you've got an issue where you can, as a player, find your own little corner of the universe to actually start you know, applying some levers to the game and actually having some fun with some content that you can try and change. I mean, you know, someone with a... Someone with like a 300-ton, you know, cargo bay or whatever... Um, doing loads and loads of cargo runs between two systems they have the ability to actually significantly affect the you know the 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 influence of a minor faction over time um whereas with power play like you say you don't really get that as an individual player it's very hard to really have any kind of impact um that's what i said when power play first came out is the problem with something like power play is unless you are part of a guild or a clan that are going to get together and say this is what we're doing that is the only way really to to sort of play and enjoy power play Um, and that's my kind of main criticism of it also that you can't make money doing it because for a game that's all about increasing your rankings and making money the fact that power play actually costs (laughs) it doesn't really because i mean you've got guys out there that are getting 50 million a week um, from the, the you know there's, there's the, the sort of weekly payout which Power Play gives you, which is you know quite good. So there's people are you know they want they maintain it with minimum work now that they've broken the first step, and uh, so they're making a fortune out of it. But the thing that I love about the minor faction is its choice. It's not you deliver this to the fa- the area that we're trying to expand into. It's much more random and and kind of real life feeling. Maybe maybe a little bit more control of where your faction expands to would be good somewhere slightly less toxic than the current systems that we've got going, like Hutton, <laughs> you've got that massive run, and our next one, which is another blooming outpost. But the <laughs> fact is that our our political guys uh, that monitor it give us a list of all the types of things that we can do to influence the stage of control we have in that system. So, you know, we could do smuggling runs. So we've got guys coming in with anacondas and they'll jettison their stuff, but they won't abandon it. You then pick it up and then sell it at the station. And all the time you're undermining that main power and affecting its influence. There's people that will be selling stuff to that station to take all the money out of that faction to put it into potential risk states. There'll be people doing all the missions for the Hutton truckers to increase their... So you've got choice of how you get involved, whereas in Powers, you've got three choices, and the most interesting of all in the Powers, really, for me, was the how to undermine other Powers, because it was far more engaging gameplay. Delivering letters and doing the virtual e-postman pack was, you know, a bit dull. Um, but, you know, in a group of friends doing it in a, a targeted way, you would do that one day, have a great laugh, but then you'd log in the next day and go, Craig, you've got to do it again, or the next week and you've got to do it again. And it doesn't have that ability to sort of chop and change your gameplay. I'm going to go and do a couple of trade runs. I'm going to do a couple of missions while I'm there. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to do some smuggling runs. And then I'm going to go and get involved in that war zone. And I think I think the, the minor factions may now be, well, for me, let's put it that way. For me, it has superseded powers and the appeal of powers 
is non-existent. And the other thing is, of course, our minor faction work is undermining the powers because as we expand, we are an, an independent, I think. Uh, I'm not sure. I think we're trying to get our classification a little bit more commercially uh, viable. I can't remember exactly what it was we were going for. I did read something and then kind of ignored it. Uh, <laughs> but it means that if we take a system that is controlled by a particular power, we're increasing the cost those factions for those powers to keep that system exploited. So the minor factions are having an effect on the powers as well, which then means that we could find ourselves moving into some powers um, stronghold and don't want us there. So, again, they can't identify a hut and trucker because we don't have labels. So they don't know who's coming into that system to work for the hut and truckers and undermine and increase their costs. So whereas with powers, it's dead easy because you've got a labelling. So I think Frontier, if you're listening, I think it may be time to to turn powers into the minor faction stuff and let us all pick labels for minor factions, which would be epic. Well, here's an interesting little thing that uh, is in the, the update. It says, as part of season two, we'll be elevating a minor faction to a power. And they'll reveal more of that next year. And it says the development of influence is a key function of the galaxy simulation and is one of the most complicated aspects in the game. In his opinion, it's one of the biggest issues is one of communication and that there's a range of subtleties that are not immediately obvious and it's no doubt causing frustration. Now, I don't know whether or not he's referring to power play with this or whether he's, he's referring to just the general background simulation in all. But um, it does... Seem well. They have said that power play is going to get a, a revisit next year, as part of the season two upgrades, and um, it could be that they might decide to do that. They might uh, bring some of the player factions into power play itself. Well, I think you know it's it's good to hear that they're going to revisit it because I think, uh, and this is typical of all kind of games when you do an update, it can either be successful or unsuccessful, and if you improve and the likes of they have done for the minor factions, what you learn from that and the things that work are brilliant to be included in power play. So let's, you know, let's increase it. Let's add that kind of ability and gameplay to the powers and make them excellent. And I think, you know, that's great to hear. So we might see some of the stuff that's um, really kind of, I've enjoyed with the minor factions appearing in the powers. And I think then at that stage, you're going to get people that will, pick powers. Maybe even, you know, if we had a, a power for exploration that actually didn't happen to be in the middle of the big, gigantic, multicoloured jelly. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. Uh, back, Foz. <laughs> thanks very much. I do apologise if there was any screaming coming down the phone. Uh, teething, nine-month-old, not pleasant. Um, just trying to pick up on what you guys have just been talking about. So, obviously, the, the whole... Uh, faction side of things and power play as michael brooks did mention it's a bit of a a marmite topic uh i'm certainly not completely bought into it at the moment the whole minor factions thing obviously i've been helping out the the hut and truckers as much as i possibly can uh a little bit disappointed when he's talking about minor factions becoming a power that the hut and the hut and truckers aren't on there They're the the ones he lists i must admit i haven't even heard of at all i was expecting the likes of the east india trading company and stuff to be uh on there but the the one he's listed they're all, they're all minor powers. They're all minor factions that I've never come across. Um, it's well, a big it? universe out there, Foz. Yeah, because Hutton doesn't have a minor. Does Hutton have a minor faction? 
Am um, I getting yes. confused between minor factions and you know, player factions and stuff? Yeah, are these be, all separate? It'll be the no, no. The, the, the Hutton Truckers Cooperative is an in-game faction there. Oh, is it? Oh, because you said it is an in-game faction. Uh, yes, yeah, so I mean, if you go to if you look at um, uh, Alpha Centauri on the system map now, you'll see that we've got about an eighty percent influence. The Hutton Truckers Orbital Causes. Corporation. And we're now in in the Y system with, I think, 17% influence and working our way to try and take it over. And then it's trying to find somewhere that's actually nice. Yeah, I think the the difficulty you'll have is that because of the way the background simulation works and the way these different... Um, these different minor factions. Those those ten minor factions that are the most influential will be the ruling minor factions of the most popular starports in the most populated star systems. Um, so places like I'm not surprised that Alioth Independence is on there because they're they're kind of everywhere. So if you've got any stations that players go to a lot, they will be mm. inadvertently raising the fortunes of those those minor factions, which in some respects, you know, is a better way of doing it than saying, if you were to look at it in fiction terms, even though the Hutton Truckers thing is obviously massive for that region of space, actually, if you look at the core as a whole, they still represent only a fraction of the kind of universal population. So for them to be, for for that little one, you know, moving into two systems, uh, political faction, to suddenly become a major faction would be a bit, it would just be a bit incongruous. Um, yeah. Whereas I think I think the thing that's a shame is that a lot of these minor factions, they'll actually be ones that very few people are trying hard to actually get promoted. They're ones that are just doing well because they're in the popular player systems. Um, well, not, not just that. I mean, if if they're a controlling faction uh, of a system which has a very good place, a good price on, say, slates to sell, yeah. or no, it's to buy, a good price on something to buy, then they're going to get a huge amount of uh, extra help from people who are going there and buying because they're getting a huge cash influx, and, and that makes a huge difference. Yeah, and, even, and also, you know, things like if you've got a, a star system with a really good... I mean, Shinrata Desra is not a good example because it's it's a closed you know, system to founders. But if you've got a say, location which, say, has a really good range of ships for sale, they will do well because people will travel distance to go to high-tech systems with high populations because of the chances of you know, more choice for buying ships. And, of course, when they get there, they'll drop off all the exploration data they picked up on the way. And that exploration data, I believe contributes to the fortunes of the controlling faction so i'd be very interested to know how many of those minor factions are systems that have um you know really good starports uh, you know ship ship uh, lobbies kind of thing i wouldn't be surprised if it's a lot of them <laughs> but hey it does say, to be fair, in Michael's dev update, uh, it does say that they are looking at making Powerplay more fun to individual players. So it'll be interesting to see what they come up with to kind of improve that. Um, I mean, the kind of all or nothing mentality was there, you know, right at the beginning, and I know they changed it in a really quick update. Um, but the whole thing about having to be like within the top 50% of something before you could 
qualify for the next tier that was immediately identified as being a thing of saying well the problem with percentages is you're automatically excluding half of the players who've actually bothered to take part and it doesn't Mm. matter how many players take part you're always excluding half of them so it's kind of a law of diminishing returns so the last time i played power play they'd, they'd mostly done away with that um but it was still there a little bit but yeah and then you know for the rest of the dev update michael touches on um the xbox one release um i think we were all amazed by how quickly the xbox release went from being announced to suddenly being a thing that people could play i mean it was literally it was weeks wasn't it 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 was quite fast before their you know the the player test thing came out their their beta um version uh and when it was actually announced as as part of the preview um the preview program at E3, uh, that was, I think that would just took everybody by surprise because we didn't expect it to come out that quick at all. Yeah, no, it was pretty cool. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm still not, I mean, I'm, I'm not totally clear on what the crossover is between the interactions of the PC and the Xbox community. I'm assuming it's just the background simulation. Yes, it, it, yep. it, it is just the background simulation. Yeah. Um, there's no shared instances. You will never be able to shoot down uh, an Xbox player and vice versa. Uh, I think a lot of Xbox players are quite disappointed because they would like to shoot down the PC Master Race. But um, I'm going to get trouble for that one. <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> hey, yes, they'd like to shoot. You can only oh. infer it. You can only infer it. You're not allowed to say it out loud. <laughs> oh, I think I'm going to lose my Python. It's going to explode in temperature. Um, yeah, and then Michael obviously covers um, Horizons, which in terms of what we're talking about, which is a look back at the first year, Horizons yeah. is, is not really something we're talking about just now. But <laughs> it's, a nice, <laughs> no. it's a nice cherry on top of it's a nice cherry on top of the year. So we have had an overwhelming response um, from. Um, uh the 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 lave radio listeners we asked people for their thoughts on sort of season one um Mm -hmm. and we got we got a huge number of people uh coming back to us so let's just see reddit's quite good because people upvote stuff um so interestingly enough the the most popular comment on reddit um someone saying i wonder where ed would be now if development resources had not been wasted on power play and cqc um well, if you if you look at the if you look at those features, do you, do you really feel that they wasted much time? Surely the criticism was that, uh, that they didn't waste enough time on those features. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's you know, do you criticize you don't know. them for spending time? I mean, I could say, I you know, I I, I, I wonder what Elite Dangerous would be like if they hadn't bothered with multiplayer because I don't enjoy most of my interactions with other players. Um, I have to say that's changed now I've got my Escape Velocity private group. I've actually had some really nice kind of online role-playing uh, with some of the Escape Velocity fans. That's been really good fun. But actually, you know, for the most part, I, I enjoy Elite mostly when I'm not, you know, having to deal with the intentions of other players. Um, so, you know, I could say, wow, what an amazing game it would be if it was just completely single-player. Um, but it's, you know, I, you kind of have to acknowledge that other people are into stuff. There was a guy on Reddit the other day, um, his whole game is power play. He's not interested in anything that isn't power play. Um, he's, he's quite obnoxious about it actually. Um, and he was, (laughs) he was complaining about the alien artifacts shutting down, um, 
space stations because he was saying i'm not interested in alien artifacts why is it having an impact on a part of the game if i if i don't care about alien artifacts why should it shut down space stations that i need for power play and it's like whoa okay that's quite a serious you know reaction to something which is you know game content as a whole um and he even went as far as to refer to players who were still taking alien artifacts to stations as terrorists now, given that the guy, given that the guy said he had no interest at all in role play, I can only assume he actually meant he thought the players were terrorists for delivering unknown artifacts to space stations, which I, is quite a strong think, reaction. Yeah, mm. I think that's that's the most wonderful thing uh, about Elite because you know, criticize which gameplay you want as much as you can, you know, just by all means, you know, moan about power play because you don't like it, moan about the the minor factions because you don't like it, moan about planetary landing because you, you haven't bought it. Uh, but, you know, you pick what you want to moan about, yeah. and, and the, nice, the nice thing is that even if you don't play it, you don't have to play it, but it might have an effect on your gameplay, even indirectly, and that's kind of cool. That's kind yeah. of, the, you know, the universe is, is a living place, and get used to it and either fight for what you want to happen or or don't but yeah. you know it's it's the fact that it all links together in different ways and that's been the really well what i've really enjoyed about the sort of minor faction stuff is hearing people that are testing it and trying to find ways to make it do what they think and predict it and the way that that kind of thinking is really quite exciting to see you know if we do this type of mission does it have that kind of effect and then you hear from the powers that well actually if we expand into their territory it's going to cost them more to keep that system so i love that because it's pitching people against people and, and encouraging them to sort of you know work together or work against each other and i think that's awesome yeah, and I think you know, yeah. I think I think there's always going to be stuff they have to work on that's that's not for you. I mean, we've been talking for ages that we would really like the Orca and the um, the one that's not the Orca. Someone's going to have to help me out with that. Um, the the whole kind of tourism passenger missions. Now, if they implemented passenger and tourist missions, things like photo flybys of comets and things like that, those are that's going to be development that is only going to affect players who are interested in flying orcas and role playing being the captain of a luxury yacht. And that's that's a very minor thing. But I think the I agree with you, Grant. I think the game as a whole needs these things. I think the, the again, it's a bit like what I was saying earlier. The game feels bigger the more things there are that you never get around to seeing i mean that's why everyone thinks that thinks that skyrim is absolutely massive um because there are so many things in skyrim that you know you will never get around to doing that's why the game feels so huge in such a, a populated world grand theft auto 5 is the same there's so much content in that you are never going to see i mean like i'm taking the taking back a bit grand theft auto 4 okay there was a there was a trophy for grand theft auto 4 to f- kill all 100 seagulls or something like that i've, I've kind of forgotten <laughs> yeah um, but they were so hard to find and i could turn around and say i don't understand why they bothered wasting time putting 100 seagulls that i'm never going to see in the game why didn't they do this but the fact that all that is in there it's all part of a philosophy about why that game seems so huge and i think elite needs to be the same there needs to be corners of the universe where there are things going on that you will never get round to because it feels like the universe is populated um 
and I think we all need to have kind of a bit of patience for, for development of features which um, we're not interested in. I have not yet put a single half hour into CQC since it went out of beta. And that's just mm. me. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't resent the existence of CQC. I'm just personally completely uninterested in playing it. Um, it's actually got a very valuable role um, that sure. is maybe an, an indirect role. It's not so much about keeping those psychopaths out of the main game. Not that at all. <laughs> um, in fact, the, the sort of role is very relevant to my brother, who currently lost his T7 and didn't have the insurance for it. Well, CQC marks a way that he can actually play the game, earn some cash until he's got enough for the insurance for the back into the open. So it's it's got a, it's got a use. It's got a place for not just what you think, uh, and that's what I'm you know loving. My first time playing Ultima Online, and it was kind of like, this is just kind of like, you know, RuneScape. It's like all the other ones. There's nothing particularly interesting. You take missions A to B. And I happened to be heading off to do this mining mission. And I walked across this field. And this wee player came out of nowhere with his pitchfork screaming at me, Get off my land! And that was me. I was hooked. I then became the blacksmith standing in the market. And they're all going, you know, weapon of ultimate this and ultimate that. And I would, chair of ultimate comfort. <laughs> Sit on this chair. It's ultimately comfortable. I made it myself. And then I could see somebody came along, sat on it, and then nicked it. <laughs> that, that is, that's where fun is there as well. And I think with the interaction of these things indirectly, it creates a reason. Maybe you don't play it that way, but it certainly creates a reason for you to keep an eye on it. Mm. Yeah. I mean the general consensus so far has been that the uh, that the community goals and the um uh the wings updates were were really good at the beginning of the year. Um a lot of people feel that power play was maybe a misstep and then finally that um CQC um that not as quite as much of a misstep but not as popular as the first two if you see what I mean. Mm. And that's the way that things have broken down. 1.5 and all the things that have come with 1.5, I think, has been swallowed up by Horizons. So um, people aren't even thinking about that one at the moment. But that seems to be the genuine consensus of uh, most of the feedback that we've had. A lot of people say that, you know, CQC is fantastic, but, oh... Bum, I'm just being interdicted by a vulture. I do apologise. <laughs> Normal service will be resumed as soon as I'm dead. But I think, in you know, in terms of... Um, yeah, I think 1.5, I think I think an awful lot of love was spent on 1.5, and I think most people will will miss it. I don't know, I don't know how many players um, are still sticking with kind of 1.5 now that Horizons is out. Um, I suppose it's probably more people who have bought Elite in the last year, whereas the... <clears throat> the people that have probably been involved since day one, I wouldn't be surprised if most of them have got a lifetime pass. So they probably haven't yeah. haven't even noticed the transition from Elite to Elite Dangerous, other than the change in what you sort of pick on the... the um, I mean, that's the thing, because it's been interesting. There's been discussions. We're getting into Horizons now, and that's not what it's meant to be about. But um, there were there have been reviews of Elite Horizons, which have been quite unfavourable, because people are saying, you know, I've paid 40 quid on all I can really do that's different to the previous version of the game is go down to planets and there doesn't seem to be that much there. And I think actually, because it really depends on your perspective, because as far as I'm concerned, because I've got lifetime expansions and I'm just seeing the game develop, develop, develop and develop, 
2.0 and Horizons is just, for me, it's just the next point release. You know, being able to go down to planets is just the next extra little feature they've added. And it doesn't, it doesn't occur to me that actually the amount of that update might not be a whole new game's worth just yet. I know that over the course of the next year, that's going to get filled with loads and loads of more content. But I can definitely see, if you're someone who paid 40 quid for Elite Dangerous back in March, and you're now being asked to pay 30 quid for Elite Horizons, I can see that you might be asking yourself, you know, what is my 30 quid's worth? You know, what is, what am I getting out of 2.0 that I'm not getting out of 1.5? And I think that's, I think that's a very interesting point, and I think it's the. I think that's the thing that's in danger of splitting the player base um, between those who have the lifetime pass and those who don't, because actually it's mm. not that. Imp- <laughs> I say it's not that impressive a, a, a leap. Apologies to Frontier. It is obviously a huge leap, and what they've done with planets in terms of the tech is absolutely amazing. Um, but I think again, like a lot of stuff with Elite Dangerous, maybe kind of actual gameplay and content stuff still needs to be built on um and i think i think there is more than people even realize because actually there's an awful lot of gameplay around bases that 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 frankly no one understands because i took on a mission the other day and went down to a base and had no idea how to complete it absolutely Mm. no idea but yeah yeah, well, one of the things, um, I mean, we'll, I'll just quickly touch on what my opinion on the whole uh, pricing issue for Horizons is. I know we weren't supposed to t- uh, talk about it, but it is well, something yeah. that's been getting my goat a little bit. Um, I've, I've noticed that in, um, not only apart from being called a forum dad, which was uh, <laughs> surprising, but um, one of the things that got me was the fact that people don't seem to understand that when you're paying um, that 30 quid or 40 quid, rather, well, it's, it's going to be 30 quid for people who've already got it. You're not actually just buying the, the landing on planets thing. You're buying the stuff in the future. Now, the problem that I think that people see with that is that I think a DC UO, the, the, the DC online game, had the same kind of problem. They would put a massive content patch in and charge a fortune for it, and then they wondered why no one would buy it. So what they did instead was they, they chopped it down to smaller digestible um, amounts and then sold those as individual DLC upgrades, if you see what I mean. The, the issue was, was that if, they'd actually, if the players suddenly realized that they were getting these five, um, five upgrades for, say, $40 then, you know, that'd be five upgrades of $40. However, uh, SOE at the time were quite sneaky. They, they, they created each of these DLCs with five separate ones, but at $10. So actually, for the same amount, SOE were making more money. And this is the way that I... I everyone's just looking at that big price tag at the very beginning. Now, I've got faith in Frontier that they will deliver and all the, the extra things that they've promised. But I think too many people are looking at that big $30, uh, $45, £30 mark and going, I'm not paying that for what's considered DLC. And they don't know what's coming. And I think Frontier really, that's their challenge is to get that over. Because at the moment, the perception is that people who have bought the game are get who bought the game, not the people that bought the lifetime passes, but the people who bought the game are getting ripped off a little. <clears throat> yeah. 
Now, whether or not they do want to split the package up and uh, split the horizons up and sell it as smaller chunks, which I know is a challenge, but that would seem to be more acceptable to the people on Steam rather than uh, the whole rigmarole. Yeah, the, yeah like, that's the, me like, like 10 quid every three months rather than, rather than 40 quid once a year. Yeah, I see that. I think I think it is the the amount. That, yeah, there's this baseline amount that everybody's looking at. The amount of arguments I have at massively saying, "Listen, this is what you're getting. Mm. By the end of <clears> next year, you'll have more than your forty your your forty five dollar amount." And I think that's uh, the issue. I think there was a key point actually, and I've never heard them refer to it this way. So hopefully, no one is going to get into trouble. But during uh, the twenty four hour charity stream that um, uh, Ed was doing. The one point he did refer to the players, um, he, he referred to the numbers as being subscribers. And that's mm-hmm. a really interesting point, because if you're thinking about the people buying into Elite Dangerous as being subscribers, rather than people who've bought a box off a shelf, then actually the perception over the, the numbers is very different. Because yeah. if you say, you know, if it was a game that was a subscription model, and you were to say what you are paying for is... 30 or 40 pounds for access to the elite horizon server for the next year. That's a Mm -hmm. very different kind of financial commitment than to say, we're going to sell you a brand new boxed game for, for 40 pounds. Um, here's the differences between that and the previous one that you could have bought for 10 quid and actually, you know, think, well, actually there's, there's not a huge lot of bullet features on the box that are all that different. Um, you know, it is about a year's content. Um, yeah, the, the, the problem that they've got is that there is, and I think this is unfair, there is a perception that Elite is uh, a mile wide and an inch deep, which, I mean, maybe if I had been playing, I mean, playing for um, hours and hours, I don't play as much as a lot of other people have done. So my burnout, I haven't hit that burnout yet. But if you've been playing for a thousand hours by now, I would I can see why you'd feel burnt out. And I, just yeah, I, I can see it's not a fun game for grinders and people who like to win at something. Um, I realised recently what the way I see Elite Dangerous and how it's different to what other people see, which is um, for me, Elite Dangerous isn't an adventure game or a shooter or any of those other things which would require masses of content. For me, Elite Dangerous is a flight sim. It's a flight sim with a sci-fi theme, and all the other stuff that you can do as part of it is amazing. But a lot of the people who are complaining about the lack of content in Elite, they're they're the same people that sort of complained about how long it takes you to fly from place to place. And I've got to be honest, if you don't just enjoy the process of taking off, flying your ship, landing... For me, that's the game. It's a game which allows you to fly a spaceship. All the other stuff is icing. You know, it's, it's, it's different ways of flying your spaceship. But as far as I'm concerned, Elite Dangerous is a flight sim. And that is, you know, that's how I play it. Um, and I don't know what, you know what your thoughts are on that. Well, speaking as you just did about the whole um, time and burnout and things, have you guys? Because it's in our notes for later on for a bit of discussion. Is the one of the new patches is of course the um, ability to see how long you've actually played. Mm, yes, and I was surprised to realise I haven't played as much as uh, I thought I had. 
Yeah. I've, I've come so in. Come on, there, come on, guilty confessions. How long have you spent playing Elite? Uh, 524 hours, I've worked it out. Well, that's really not much. No, not compared to some people. Yeah, considering some people are pro- quite shameful. <laughs> <laughs> There's a life wasted, well, he's going to say. Do you know where to find yours, Chris? Do you know what? I need to launch the game to actually look at it because I haven't, um, I haven't seen this feature yet, so I don't think I've had a chance to play the game since they added it. Um, if I, you go to your status window and yeah, then go to your right. statistics and then scroll down to exploration, right at the sort of second line bottom from the of the exploration section, it will say your approximate time played. Uh, mine tells me it is um, four weeks, four days, nineteen wow. hours, and fifty-four minutes. I mean, I, which is by nowhere. I've seen seventeen weeks. I know that that's that's pretty. Pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, this Commander Brusilov is thirteen weeks. This is this is confession time. You know, if this is confession time, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, this might not have updated before the end of the podcast, but um, personally, for me, I wouldn't be shocked if my my hours played is uh, is under a hundred hours um, because I found I played it quite a lot in alpha and beta, and actually, you know, if we're talking about the last, you know, you know we were sort of doing a retrospective last year, I actually found that by the time we got the game, um, I had less time to actually play it, and I've really only been playing Elite kind of with a vengeance. In the last two months, maybe, I've really been kind of playing it and really enjoying playing it, and throughout the year, I've kind of, um, I've sort of played like the new features, like I played it a bit when Wings came in, um, I've played each of the betas that have come out because I wanted to keep up for it. But in terms of putting really serious time into playing it, that's actually been quite a recent thing for me. Um, uh, and I think it's just because the nature of the game for me has changed. I found earlier in the year, you know, my daughter was a bit younger. I found that the kind of time scales involved, I, I, I mostly play missions. I really enjoy the missions. Um, I, I go onto the bulletin board and I look for interesting things to do. So I find that having to commit to that specific block of time that completing a mission takes, I actually find that Elite is a game I can't sit down and play unless I know I've got an uninterrupted block of like one to two hours. Mm. So for me, that's changed very much in the last... Um, in the last sort of two or three months, I've played it much more, partly because I've been enjoying ways of playing it that you can actually enjoy within about half an hour. Um, and also because, you know, my daughter's a bit older. She doesn't just randomly start crying um, like like Foss is experiencing now. You know, she doesn't just randomly start crying at nine o'clock in the evening for no reason. Um, my, you know, my, my wife and I's work situations have changed sufficiently in the last six months that actually kind of committing myself to playing a game in the evening is more realistic than it was in the first half of the year. Um, remembering, of course, that my wife broke her leg very, very badly um, mm. back in April. So it's been, it's been kind of a tough year for gaming for me. Um, so on the air, Commander Kerlick has said in chat, is that because I need to immerse myself in the content for the new season of Escape Velocity? You know, there is an element of that. I think actually my um, my keenness for Elite Dangerous, because I've worked so hard on things like the audiobooks and Escape Velocity, my actual kind of enjoyment of the, go- of the game, in some respects, has ebbed and flowed with my kind of fortunes with the different, you know, Elite projects. Um, and I was probably, you know... Um, What's the word? 
demotivated around about the time I sort of felt like Escape Velocity was never going to happen again. And then actually, once I knew that there was a chance to do Escape Velocity again, you know, maybe that did feed into my kind of keenness to get back into the game and fly around. These things all, you know, if you immerse yourself in a, in a community like this, all these different things come into play. It's not all in, you know, it's not all in, in some respects in Frontier's hands. Except, of course, for the stuff in Frontier's hands that was to do with Escape Velocity being delayed for such a long time. But never mind. <laughs> let's, not, let's not talk about that. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> We're going back to these, because yeah, I'm really keen to cover these comments I've had from people, because I've had just loads of, we, I, I do apologise, we are not going to be able to individually comment on everything um, that people are commenting. But there's some great stuff in here. Um, there's lots of people have said that since Elite Dangerous 1.0 came out, it is practically the only game they've played in the last year. Mm. Um, I, I, yeah, I get that. Do you know what? I, you know, I get that. And I think that, I don't know how you guys you know, feel about it, but actually there was always a feeling before we had Elite Dangerous that loads of games you were playing, you're thinking, I like this, but what I really want is a new Elite. And I can definitely see that for loads of people, now that there is a new Elite, that actually it's kind of fulfilled everything they've wanted from gaming you know, in the last 10, 15 years. I, I would agree with that to a certain point. Obviously, I think the only thing that drags me away from Elite is the occasional session of the Old Republic, or maybe if something on on Gug, uh, Gog rather, um, takes my fancy. But you know, that's because just basically I, I get an attack of nostalgia and think, "Oh, I wonder how good that game was." Uh, download it for a couple of quid, and then suddenly realise eh, it's not as good as I thought it was. Uh, you know, the good old rose-tinted glasses get the good smashing. Uh, but no, for me, this this has been, uh, I think, the game that I've I've spent the most time on, and uh, I probably will end up spending a lot more time in it as well. Yeah, I, I think you know, uh, my my issue is that I'm I'm a bit of a kind of gaming gaming whore in the sense that I I really like to play all the different stuff that kind of comes out, even if I don't get to play stuff for long. I kind of like to experience different games. We had that comment on the forums, didn't we, about someone saying that. I seem to have played every game um, ever released. But it is because, you know, things come out and I see them. I'm very attracted by shiny things. But actually, you know, for me, there have been very few games like Elite, which over the course of the year, I've played it, I've gone away from it, I've come back to it, and I've played lots of other games in between. But from a year ago, um, Elite and Chaos are really the only two that I'm still playing. Um, all the others I've kind of played and put to bed. How about you, Grant? Yeah, I mean, I've, oh, crikey, I've got quite a few uh, games. I've, uh, I took a wee touch. It's usually sort of Saturday and Sunday are the days when I've got a good sort of good gap of time to to sit and, and play Elite Dangerous. And then every couple of weeks you kind of think, you know, I could do just just something slightly different this week. So I'll try something different. And something that had bothered me was my. Um, record of playing Half-Life 2 and I thought, I remember getting stuck in this underwater point where I didn't know what to do and I thought, well actually I've never completed Half-Life 1 so I decided that I would actively go and I played the entirety of the Half-Life saga I kind of got a bit disheartened with that kind of game type because it just seemed to be that the games were all the same, but for you going on a particular walk in a particular direction, the whole world was screwed. And you know, you kind of, you kind of felt that it was just like, really? 
these guys are talking to me like I'm some kind of, you know, amazing hero, but frankly, I'm just going to one place that I was told to go to. All I'm really doing is walking in a direction. And the gameplay unrolls around you, but it's a beautiful game. Uh, it's just something I've got with stories where, you know, you get to the end of the story and you think, well, if he just sat in his arse for the entirety of that, none of that would have happened, then he'd have been fine. <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. It's maybe I maybe I'm getting to that kind of age where you know you become that kind of cynical. Why did you bother? You could have just you know. For, or or for example, if you're a big fan of Faulty Towers, which I am, but I still do find myself watching stories that have practically stole the Basil Faulty character, <laughs> and all he does is lie, 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 and but for his lies, everything would be absolutely hunky dory. And I do get to the point where I am shouting for. God's sake, tell the truth just once to try it on for size. Then, then you realise it's a TV programme and they wouldn't have any more episodes if we did that. Yeah, I think that's a standard. Yeah, they, they, said, they said that about <laughs> The Office because the moment that uh, the, in the last episode when David, Pre- uh, David Brent suddenly realised he's a bit of a prat and he would change his, his behaviour then that was the end of The Office. And then Ricky Gervais has then since un, uh, undone that realisation, he's back to being a prat again. So Was he, yeah. was he ever not? <laughs> you, you do have to be careful not to just break your fiction. Um, I've, been watching, I've been watching X-Files um, back from the beginning, and there's a point around about series six or seven where they actually just start, the episodes become quite self-referential and kind of parodying themselves. And I think, you know, for something like that, once you've done it, that's it, it's broken. You know, you can't, you can't undo that. Uh, let me just get into the game and see um, what I've got going on. Someone in chat is asking if you, whether or not you've arrived on Butas. Yes, I have run. I arrived on Butas. What a right next to uh, Onu Franco base. Um, down here with Grand Solo and Baxter. Okay, um, but so, yeah, so if just... Arkin Baxter can't see you, it might be an instancing issue. My goodness, these buggies are hard to quash, squash with your ship. <laughs> um, you said it was Black Blacken's progress, is it? Or have I got the wrong... No, 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 Franco. Honor Franco. Franco base, yeah, I see it. Right, uh, okay. I'll be there in a few minutes. So it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it, it, so, I mean, you were asking what games I've played. Uh, Prison Architect, which I, I quite enjoyed. Escapist, which is, again, Prison Architect, except from the point of view, you're the yeah. prisoner. Yeah. Uh, and it's quite good fun. Um, but I find them all... They just get tiresome... Um, Kerbals is something that I will go back to again and again and again, time and time again. But you know, the kind of game that really appealed to me in the past was things like uh, the Patrician, or where you know you've got to do your trading by sea, but it opens up into political dramas, uh, and of course Grand Theft Auto because, well, frankly, that's the game that I play for the lols because it is by far one of the funniest games to play multiplayer. Ever until Horizons, Horizons has had me in hysterics. <laughs> is that because of people? Hang on a second. Does this planet is it's not a six G one? Is it? No, it's not. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Oh, we've got to go. We've got to touch on the uh, that wonderful uh, the Akinar three prank. If that's oh, the case, yeah. yeah. Uh, you, just, you have because because we were talking about it. I'll just I'll just say my uh, approximate time played one week, two hours, and twelve minutes. 
Oh so man, it's it's you know, it, it's about it's about what I expected. Um, although the, probably the probably the fact that I have after that amount of time only just bought my first ASP <laughs> gives you gives you the idea that mostly when I play Elite Dangerous, I am just bimbling around and looking at things that I enjoy in role playing rather than actually making any serious money. Mm, I'm, get, yeah. I'm getting messages to me reminding me of other games like Pulsar, which of course is a bridge yeah. simulator, Artemis, yeah. and things. I was so there, looking, I mean, yeah, yeah, a lot of games. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was just looking at some of the games I played over the last year. Things like Ronin, Shadow Run, um, FTL, Invisible Ink. Invisible uh, Invisible Ink has taken up a lot of my time, actually. To be fair, obviously Chaos Reborn, Chroma Squad. Uh, what have we got? Dungeon of the Endless. That that took my life away from me for a little while. Yeah, all kinds of things, you know. Papers, please, even. Although I think that was before this last year, actually. See, I, that, that game appeals to me, but it's not mundane enough. It doesn't have the point where you go home and have to make your dinner. I know and depending does. on how much sleep you get depends on how much focus you've got the next day. That's where I want it to go. I want it to go the full hog. And then the ability to accept bribes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you sort of. So what's what's yeah, what's I'm curious about what that is now. Um, yeah, so what were you going to say about this prank, Colin? Oh, the the Echinar three prank. Oh, hang on a second. Let me let me just pull up out of my approach before I crash into the planet. Um, yes, this was absolutely classic. Um, a troll post. Now, the East India Company uh, are quite good at coming up with trade routes. And what's happened is that um, someone put on Reddit that we know, on behalf of the East Indian Company, we are the same group that brought you the, the smuggling statistics and the Galactic Silk Road trade route. So he's establishing some good credentials there. And he says, in order to do this, you need uh, to have an Akinal permit, uh, £25,000 uh, 25, credits or tons in, in a T6 and if you land on these bases um, on Akinar 3, you will make an absolute fortune. <laughs> now, the problem was um, Akinar 3 is a 6G planet. Yeah. If you've watched Chaos Wolf's attempt to land there <laughs> in, in a T9, it is quite amusing. Mm. Unfortunately, it does seem that a lot of people were taken in for this because the moon on images is basically a commodity that doesn't exist. Or if it does, I haven't heard of it. And then on top of that, there isn't actually anywhere on... Well, Brill Works, where they told you to drop things off, doesn't have a commodities market. So at the moment, I think we've got quite a few people claiming to have lost a lot of anacondas, T9s, <laughs> trying to land there. And, um, yeah, a, a G6 planet is not fun to land on. I know I made my first crater the other day. It's actually my first death in ages. Um, I got my new um, Asp Explorer, which I'm still not 100% used to flying. Um, I'm still so geared into flying a Cobra Mark III. The handling of anything different is just really throwing me. So the 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 Asp Explorer is is obviously its deceleration is much worse than the Cobra Mark III. And I I've been mostly landing on planets. I hadn't really noticed this, but I've mostly been landing on planets with less than 0.1 of a G. And the other day I went to a planet that was 1.3 and I just 
smacked straight into the surface because I was getting really impatient with the counter telling me how far away the base was. So I was like yeah. afterburnering towards the surface. And then I saw that I was below 2000 meters and that was plummeting like fast. So I literally just turned the asp round pointed at the sky and was like gunning the afterburner as hard as I could, but it wasn't enough to slow me down. I just saw it go all the way from 2000 meters to zero within about five seconds. Uh, the, fun, the, fun, the, the real funny thing was, was that um, a lot of these people who actually made the run and actually were able to land, yeah, uh, they only had derated thrusters. <laughs> so those thrusters off. aren't strong enough to take off. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> what do you do? Do you have to sell yourself um, and buy a lighter one? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> they couldn't do anything because... <laughs> the, you know, I don't even know if the base had a shipyard. Oh, that's brilliant. That must actually break your game. I mean, if you can't sell your ship, every time you die, you'll just respawn back at the, the station that you just landed at. Yeah, something like that. It's, um, you must have to sell everything on your ship to make it as light as possible so that you can take off. I, I don't know how they did. I, I don't know what happened to the poor commanders that were, that they got stranded. Well, I would like to hear. I would like to hear more about that. If anybody has, um, if anybody has any um, stories about landing on a planet where your thrusters were not powerful enough to take off, we would love to hear from you about how you got out of that. Um, That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like I was doing the Abracadrabble show two weeks ago, and uh, you know, responsible and pleasant and nice guy, uh, Galactic Men. You know, he's a forum moderator. He's not going to do anything nasty or horrible, is he? He <laughs> blew my ship up, which I left me stuck sense. in the. So, yeah, no, he blew my ship. Yeah, because yeah, you, you were the other side of the planet from the base, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. So, the, and I, I still don't know what to do in that circumstance, but I end up self-destructing. But yeah, just. Come on! It, it just—it's funny to think that 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 to me would be a, a a little knot, a little loose end that needs tied. Well, there's a there's the looking at the comments in the chat room. There is an out of game way of fixing it. If you find yourself stuck in on a planet, if you load one point five instead of horizons, the game will start you off in space above the planet you're on. <laughs> ah, that's, 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 that's not right. Yeah, that's, that's not an in-game way of fixing it. That's uh, that's a bit of a kind of well, workaround. Um, anyway, sorry, going back to this feedback we've had because time is racing on this evening. Um, so one of the posts here, we've got an excellent just thing, just a reminder of all the great stuff that we've had over the course of the year that were improvements on the original mm. release of the game. So, fifteen more ships released. Yep, uh, the route planner which have obviously made a huge difference. Debug cam. Now, for those of you who've only joined the game since the very early update uh, where we got the debug cam, you will not remember the pain of having to basically stare <laughs> stare out of the sunroof of a Sidewinder just to get a screenshot of something without the cockpit in view. Because that was it, wasn't it? I mean, all those... Yep. If you look at all those Elite Dangerous videos that were made in like the first three months of the game, is that fair? Yeah, I think it, it did it come in at one point two. Longer than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So all those early videos were filmed by people who were staring out the roof of a sidewinder. So you just you know you think about that. You think about how hard it must have been to produce you know those kind of videos. Given that the game doesn't allow you to kind of get rid of the you know the cockpit and just have a first person view. Uh, well, but yeah, I think the camera. first 
huge difference. The first thing they added was that there was Control Alt G, wasn't it, which removed the, the HUD. different yeah. various HUDs and things, yeah. and they would use that and then look at the window. But if you think, yeah. how do you follow a ship that's moving? I know. It's crazy. Oh. Without flying vertically and using your lateral thrusts, and amazing! It makes their tasks and the, the the results of what they did even more spectacular. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so then we've got we've got some other things here. Variations in USSs. Yeah, we got that. More, you know, mission types have gone up more and more as the game goes on. Um, rank requirements, drones, mm. uh, re- refueling drones. I mean, imagine. You know what a what a huge amount of fun the fuel rats have had. That whole fuel rat gameplay only there because of fuel drones, the ability yeah. to transfer fuel from one player to another. Actually, a small change like that has made a huge difference. Absolutely huge. Um, some other stuff, comms overhauls, yeah. Um, negative stuff from the last year. Ongoing issues with background simulation uh, and the transparency of that. I think. I think there is an awful lot of the game that is still left by Frontier for you to just kind of work out what's going on. I actually submitted a bug the other day, which the moderators completely ignored, which I presume Hmm. means it's a gameplay feature that I haven't understood. But I I took on one of those missions where it says, hold on to this cargo for 20 minutes. Someone will contact you and tell you where to take it. I played for the next hour and a half and no one, no NPC ever contacted me to tell me what to do with that cargo. So I have no idea how to complete that mission. Um, And I don't know if that's a bug, that an NPC didn't contact me, or whether I just haven't understood how to play that mission. But there is no, you know, there's no kind of official thing from Frontier that says, this is the instructions for how to complete some of these missions. The other one I had was a, a, a surface mission to say you had to destroy a generator attached to a turret. That was the wording of the mission. And I went mm-hmm. down to this base, got killed three times in a row, twice in my SRV and once in my ASP, trying to figure out where this generator was attached to the turret. And actually, when I went online and found someone else talking about it, the generators aren't attached to the turrets. If there is a base no. with turrets, there will be a generator on the roof somewhere that says defense grid. And it's like, oh, defense grid, yeah. not not generator, because I've seen I've seen uh, fuel bays and fuel tanks that you can blow up. No, so, this, uh, this one apparently says defense grid generator or something like that. Doesn't mention anything about mm. turrets, so it's slightly badly worded. But I mean, there's not. You know, there's still an awful lot of stuff. I think this is where Frontier come in for criticism with the game. I think there's loads more to Elite Dangerous than people even realise is there because they don't tell anyone about it. <laughs> yeah, well, you see, that's that's one of the things that Adam Wood said in the um, in you know in the instructional videos that the that they did, which which were very good. But one of the things he said, especially about the wave scanner and things like that, he said, and we're going to leave you to find out what the various contents and how the the, the wave scanner works. Yeah. And the problem that I've got with that is that that's fine for us old old fogies who, who really like to get to the bottom of the puzzle and find out, you know, what that means. Because I've now worked out if it's halfway up the, the wave scanner, that means it, it it's either escape modules or cargoes if it's right down the bottom of the wave scanner then it's normally materials but for normal for people to work that one out 
Yeah, uh, for people to work that out, it's difficult. Yeah, I, th- I think I think a basic mechanic. I think a basic mechanic. It is fun for people to, to kind of work it out. But I think there are there are more complex things that definitely need some additional form of explanation. Um, unlike a normal, like a single player driven game, you know, we've, we've got into a stage now with game development where games generally give you missions within the first sort of ten hours of a game that kind of teach you all of the mechanics in the game, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. So, you know, for example, something like, oh, I don't know, like XCOM. Like a- XCOM, I would absolutely, you know, like the, the, the previous XCOM game, um, the opening mission kind of walked you through everything that you are likely to encounter over the course of a, a deployment. Um and then the kind of little nuances of the game, odd little things, it kind of left you to figure out for yourself. Same with um, Invisible Ink. I mean, Invisible Ink had a tutorial that kind of covered all of the basic rules. And then all of the, the gameplay things that naturally come out of all the different upgrades that you can get, you kind of learn that for yourself. But that's about you learning to finesse and become really excellent at the game. It's not about understanding how to play it at all. And I think the problem with Elite that Elite Dangerous has, there's an awful lot of it where it is just there are huge elements of actual gameplay that people are missing because they don't even know they're there. They don't know how to interact with them. Um, there was a guy on Facebook the other day in the, the, the you know the Facebook group saying he'd just bought the game, he'd started out in a sidewinder, he had no idea how to make money. Because the th- you know, he only had a few tons of cargo space, and there were basically, unfortunately, the particular instance that he'd found himself in, in terms of the space station, there were no missions for his level. There was nothing for his elite level, there was nothing for um, his trade level, uh, and there was, you know... But basically, there was one mission that was just way out of his league kind of thing. Um, so I, th- I can understand that. If you've come into the game and you don't realise that the whole missions thing is kind of randomly generated, you would look at that and think, oh, missions are just for more advanced pilots. You wouldn't realise that actually there are missions for newbie pilots. You've just been a little bit unlucky um, you know, in terms of the you know the, the the data that you've been given at that moment at that station, and I think it's, I don't know. I mean, you'd, we, we said from the beginning that we didn't want Elite Dangerous to be a handholdy type game, but at the same yeah. time, you do get into habits. I get into habits about how I play the game. So quite often, if there's a new feature, I need someone to tell me to go and look at that feature. Otherwise, I'm not going to look at it. Um, yeah, well, one of the most. Um the popular parts of my top shift series is basically the tutorials when you you go through these these uh, little well not little known features but try to explain the subtle differences between uh, the missions and your best trade routes and how to find them and all those kind of things mm. um, it, uh, there, there does seem to be a very well very big appetite for that at the moment yeah uh, Oh, I, I think someone's I just crashed it. I, I didn't realise. I When I first started attempting to trade, I couldn't understand why I was really struggling to make money trading. I would buy, I would fill my hold with goods from a system that had, you know, high availability of that particular good. I would take that 
cargo to a system that said it imported that, and I'd still make a loss. And I say, I don't, I say, and I'd say to myself, I don't understand how I'm buying from a planet that exports this and taking it to a planet that imports it, and I'm still not making any money. And I had no idea that because of the whole background simulation thing, I was probably buying from a, from a system that was currently bust and trying to sell it in a system that was currently on boom or something like that. That's why I wasn't making any money, because there was a whole factor of the kind of way the game works that I just didn't understand at that point. Now that I know about the way that things like boom and civil war and all these sorts of things affect the economy, it's much easier for me to predict when I'm buying something, whether or not I'm actually going to make money on it when I take it somewhere. Um, and I think they have improved that. They've improved it in the UI. You know, for every goods that you now buy, it tells you what kind of systems are going to be looking, you know, for this. But I think it's, you know, I think there's an awful lot of stuff that I can see, you know, people's, you know, like mine, um, people have limited time to play games. Um, and I think if you're if you are time poor and you've got lots of games to choose from, you come to Elite Dangerous and it's very confusing and you can't, you know, the game seems to be punishing you for things that you don't know, I can see people being put off. And I've said before on this podcast about how a lot of games companies spend something like 70% of their development time just on the first 45 minutes of a game. And I can kind of see that, and I can actually see that maybe the first hour, you know, the first couple of hours of Elite is probably the its weakest point if you're completely new to it. People in the chat are saying, you know, obviously you can Google stuff and Twitch and YouTube. Um, there is an element, though, of knowing what to look for. If you, if you don't know what you don't know about the game, I can't, you know, I can't go onto Google and say which bits of Elite Dangerous am I missing unless you are someone that immerses yourself in hours and hours of Twitch streams and YouTube videos, um, you, you're not necessarily going to discover things that you don't understand. Um, and you know, we you know we try and cover stuff here, and if people listen, hopefully things will come up. But I mean, it's more useful to be honest. I mean, we talk about the game. It's more useful to watch something like Karash Landing, where he is actually really kind of playing the game for a couple of hours because you pick up on all the stuff that a more advanced player, you know, is doing. I'm not suggesting, Grant, that what you're what you're streaming currently isn't isn't advanced. I do apologise. <laughs> <laughs> At the current second, my uh, Python is upside down on the planet's surface and locked. Nice. <laughs> so, so I think I think you know, saying it's advanced is maybe being a little bit kind. Yeah, yeah. but it's like like for example, until someone yeah, screenshot that I think. Yeah, until someone pointed it out to me, I had no idea that when you fly into a space station, your compass stops showing you where the space station is and starts showing you where your landing pad is and it didn't it's not that i it's not that i'm blind you know no offense to anyone who's blind you know i it's not that i couldn't see on the screen the ui that was in front of me the point is is that once i followed the blue dot to the space station it would no longer occur to me to look at that blue dot or notice that it changed the moment i flew in through the door do you see what i mean so when someone said to me once you're inside the station, that shows you where your pad is. It's like, well, that's brilliant. Of course it does. But I wouldn't have thought to look there, and it wouldn't have occurred to me to Google it. Unless I Googled, is there an easier way of finding your landing pad when you get inside a station? Um, because I just assumed that once you flew in, the game was you just had to look around and find it. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just me. 
Um, but I think it's, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I think for me, looking back across the year, the biggest criticism of the game is that it that people are saying that it's empty of content. My criticism is, you know, I don't think it is empty of content. I think it's just most people don't know where the content is or how to find it or how to engage with it. I mean, it's like the um, unidentified signal sources. I remember um, Karash saying when those appeared, people were saying there wasn't anything to do in the game, but then they were ignoring the USSs. Mm. Um, And actually his point, you know, the point when USSs were added to the game, that was probably 60% of the gameplay in Elite Dangerous. If you really wanted to find interesting things to do, the thing to do was to drop onto every USS that you encountered. Because that was where the gameplay was. And I know it's you know it's different now. There are all kinds of different things. But that's the point. You know, people were seeing these things and just ignoring them. Um, yeah. yeah. That's why it got the reputation of Euro Truck Simulator in space. Because people were just trading from point A to point B. And they were ignoring the, the stuff down the side. They, they weren't... They weren't um, I mean, admittedly, if you are Euro Truck Simulator, you don't want to pull off to see what's, if there's anything interesting happening in the local transport calf. But yeah, yeah. Um, the thing was, without the interdictions, which um, have come along later, uh, without that kind of interaction, uh, you are basically straight-line drop, uh, docking drop-off. And the whole point of Elite was you've got to go and find out these things for yourself. Uh, and the main problem that I've had with a lot of the criticism of Elite is that people seem to want to have a story-led campaign. They're expecting a story-led campaign, something like um, Privateer or Freelancer, and then the open world. But in my experience, what happened was as soon as that story-led campaign in those two games was over, you didn't go back to the game, you didn't carry on. Yeah, this is Alan's point about Freelancer, that actually once the story once the plot progression of Freelancer ended, the actual mm. open world element became very unbalanced. Um, yeah. Because when you tried to fly back to the system that was like your level one system that you were in, the enemies weren't more difficult. They were just as easy as they were when you were level one, but now you're like level whatever, and you're just shooting fish in a barrel. So it's a similar problem. I mean, it's like that, in some respects, it's like that with Pokemon, although Pokemon's a very different kind of experience, that you... The, the Pokemon, the levels kind of progress with you as you travel around the map. And suddenly when you when you finish the game and you get the option to travel the map freely, you go back to your hometown and all the Pokemon you encounter are still level two and three. And it's like, there's, there's nothing for me here. I need to, even though I've got the, the whole map open to me, I have to stick in this particular area of the game, which is now suitable for my level. Um, mm. But I think, you know... Let's, let's, let's find some more. Let's find some more comment because people have been really brilliant uh, responding to our call for um, the, their memories of the last year. I love the fact that Alien uh, Nicola Drew has, um, uh, is still referring to it as Elite Four. I, I, you know, I love it. That there are some diehard fans <laughs> that will not stop referring to Elite Dangerous as Elite Four. What I'd like to know is, um, does that mean Elite Horizons is that Elite Five now? <laughs> it should be. Yeah. It should be, really. (laughs) Um, What else have we got? Quite a lot of people actually saying that maybe they tailed off playing Elite um, round about sort of 
the summertime round about you know J- july sort of august time possibly that coinciding with people's lack of keen some people i should say some people's lack of keen for cqc um, a lot of people kind of coming back to it you know with horizons um coming up on the uh, on the radar uh yeah it's, it's funny actually different people's comments about wings um I'm gonna I'm gonna be slightly contentious. We've only got a few minutes to go, but I'm gonna be slightly contentious about wings. I really wanted wings. I really felt like some people have said that wings was a part of the game that should have been there from day one. The the ability to kind of carve instance. From my point of view, for me, wings killed open play. Because I like to play solo, okay? Um, and because I generally like to play solo if you've affected the game balance by now saying basically four people can attack you now instead of one, that has that's basically completely broken it for me because I now feel as a kind of um, you know as a kind of solo player, if I have an encounter with a player pirate, I've got to maybe weigh up my odds about whether or not I'm going to survive that encounter, particularly depending on what kind of ship they're in. If there's more than one of them really it doesn't in some respects it almost doesn't matter what ship they're in unless i'm in my like super upgraded cobra mark three and they're both attacking me in like eagles really two of anything if it's flown by players is going to cause me a problem um and i you know we've talked a little bit about the stuff that that frontier have kind of in the past promised and maybe maybe frontier haven't delivered on all the things that they said during design they were going to do for me the big one is and this is where pvp continues to be an issue for some people including me um frontier said when they were looking at the way the combat worked they wanted to make it that the the three things they said was every ship is going to have a chance against every other ship as long as the pilot is good and you've got options that was one Mm -hmm. of them now, I really don't think that a Sidewinder has a chance against a player-flown Anaconda. I'm just going to, you know, put that out there. Um, unless the Anaconda pilot is really bad and the Sidewinder pilot is really good. I don't, you know, I don't think that's true. The second thing they said is that they were talking for a while, and I kind of get why this went. They were talking about actually destroying a ship being really hard the idea is that someone would be able to batter your ship and get you into a state where you had to surrender but actually killing a ship they were going to make really really difficult and i don't think that that's not happened people die people die all the time very quickly i flew into an eagle the other day i didn't even see it coming it just flew into me and because i was in my asp explorer they just died and i recharged about 20 percent of my shields so that's life um and the, th- the third thing is they one of the things that they said right from the beginning about any kind of combat and any kind of pvp they they said you will always have the option to run they said you will all there will always be an option to escape and get away from the fight if you need to and actually in practice they haven't been able to implement that because if you're a player and you want to go around and shoot other people, if your opponents are always running away, that's really frustrating. So they've had to create a PvP economy where some players are predators and some players mm. are prey. And I've got ow, to be honest, if you're prey, it's just not fun. There is, if you're a T6 pilot in, in, in um, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, and you're a trader... 
there is no outcome for you out of a PvP instance of piracy that doesn't end in you losing. There is no there is no way to win. There is no lever in the game. There is no mechanism in the game that balances piracy for T6 pilots against a couple of guys in a wing of vultures. Absolutely nothing. And I'm just you know that's that's my that's my ongoing issue with open is that actually the, the, a lot of the things that they talked about balancing combat between combat oriented ships and non combat oriented ships those are the things that I most wish Frontier had spent their time developing things like N, you know hiring an NPC wingman to to take on pirates for you hiring automated drones that are basically just like you know turret guns that kind of float around your ship. All these sorts of things would balance the game for, for people whose ships aren't combat-oriented. Um, and mm-hmm. those are the things that... You know, I, I have very few disappointments with Elite Dangerous, but I really wish... I really wish that PvP had been balanced enough to keep people like me who aren't massively keen on PvP invested in, in open. And that's, you know, that's just my feeling on it. Yeah, I mean um, that the, the the wings at its best was when you had basically a wing of people up against another wing of people. Uh, but when you have the uh, the situation which you're describing, which I've I've, I've had to deal with, especially on the hunt the hut and run, um, where you you're basically jumped by about three or four ships, and there's just you by yourself. Yeah, that that can be incredibly frustrating. And no matter how you fe- how much you feather that uh, boost button, you you can't outrun plasma generators. <laughs> yeah, no, quite. Uh, I think it's and it, and, it, and for me, it has become about you know it is there is an element of it where it is all about who's got the bigger, more prepared ship. I mean, most mm. fights are won before they're even really started. I mean, I've you know, I've I've tried to put in some decent piloting, and I've held my own against a ship that was vastly you know superior to mine for a period of time. But actually, in some respects, it is it is really just a question of time. And and the instances where I've tried to run from a fight, um, I've found that my opponents' thrusters and you know gimbaled laser range has been sufficient that they have gradually whittled down my my hull over the course of about a 90 second you know escape that I was trying to make and that's not mm. you know, that's not gameplay for me um, I think the issue and, and, you know, and I, 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 I'm not someone that minds piracy I think piracy is a valid part of the game but again I don't think the game is designed to support it and one of the things they talked about in again in the design stage was this idea that in order to be a good pirate, in order to succeed as a pirate and get a good rating as a pirate and make money as a pirate, you would need to encourage your opponent to surrender and kind of give up cargo. And actually the ones who fire on a target and damage them and kill targets, they would actually lose their rating and they would score really badly. And none of Mm -hmm. those gameplay things that make piracy a kind of valid gameplay choice have ever come in and i can see why people get angry with pirates because if 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 someone stops you if someone threatens your ship and you give your cargo to them they take your cargo and fly off there is no in-game mechanism to tag that as a crime there is no bounty no. associated with that theft there is no way of reporting it there there is no comeback basically and that's that's where that aspect of the game for me 
has needed work for the last year and desperately needs work in the next year, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I mean, they have put in the limpet mines, which, if you use them properly, that can actually get you a good haul if um, if you need to. Uh, and it does mean that you do not destroy the ship. You get a small fine for firing on someone, and you don't get this massive, horrendous um, thing against you. So basically, you target the... Uh, you target the cargo hatch, fire off a limpet, the, and it will force the hatch to spill out the cargo. And normally the NPC players will run at that point. But <laughs> PC, the proper players, well, they, they normally turn fight because basically you just stolen their cargo. And if they think they've got a chance of taking you, they will. So it it it, it is a two-way sword. You en- You end up... Um, you would end up with a, a bounty for shooting someone's ship because then well, they're coming back for revenge. Yeah. Anyway, we are uh, mm. we are coming up on the the end of tonight's show. We have seem to have permanently lost our host. Um, <laughs> our host went away to deal with a crying child, and he, he did say returned. he was back. He yeah, did say he, he was back. Again. But the, he's never been back since then. Yeah, difficult night. Always a difficult night. Um, Thank you. I've been balancing us. the snowball on my head all night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, before we go, uh, we just mentioned LaveCon 2016. LaveCon is our community event for fans of Elite Dangerous and sci-fi and gaming uh, and writing and all sorts of things in general. Um, this year will be our fourth LaveCon convention. Is that right? I thought it was the third. No, it will be the fourth, yes. The fourth, yeah, absolutely. So our fourth um, convention, uh, it's in uh, Northampton again on the... Oh, very quick look-up of dates. Uh, was it 16th, 17th? 16th and 17th of July, yes. Uh, absolutely. Um, tickets are now available from laveradio.com. If you go to laveradio.com uh, and look at the LaveCon tab, all the information uh, is there. Um, and for those of you that haven't been to LaveCon or don't know about LaveCon, you know, it is it is something that has grown out of this podcast. Um, there is an awful lot of Elite Dangerous content. There is also an awful lot of other content. Uh, we talk about other games we like. There's a LAN room. We encourage cosplay. There are board games. We do audio dramas. We do drinking in the bar. <laughs> we games, of course. The, the games at the bar was great last year because after all the things had finished up at sort of 11, well, midnight for Dockers, but, um, you know, you could sit and play board games with people at the bar or the card games, and that was that was brilliant fun. Um, Jugger, which was great. That was the outdoor one. Um, we had Julian Gollop there talking about to Chaos Reborn, how he built that. I mean, there was some amazing, really, really great features of last year's Elavecon. Thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Of course, I was in the main room, most of it playing with sound. <laughs> yeah, and, we just and like I'm, to point out. Yeah, we just like to point out for people asking in the chat room that uh, tickets are on sale now. I believe tickets are on sale now. Yes, and uh, there are lots of different options, many of which include hotel rooms and meals and breakfast and things. Um, for those who are worried about, like, I know I sometimes go to conventions and just the food options are just, you know, just just. In fact, to be honest, we've had it at previous LaveCons. We've had difficult experiences with food. I think the second year it was just burger and chips. Mm-hmm. You can have burger and chips, or burger and chips, or would you like burger and chips? Um, so that's or or a baked potato. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> the, the local pizza place did a did a brisk trade that particular weekend, um, but a lot of that is vastly improved, and we've had feedback uh, for the venue based on our experiences last year. We are back at the same venue as we were in for this year's LaveCon, um, and we've we've sort of fed back all the stuff that that needed to be fed back to that venue. Uh, about that so hopefully looking forward to a, a great guy uh sorry i'm reading an email a great um a great time the hotel the hotel is stunning and the and the food was quite varied uh there was only yeah. one day where i think the food the, the lunch was just well it's not that it was bad at all because it was still very very tasty but i think we me and my brother were late in and he has still not shut up about getting a raw potato on his plate <laughs> it's just been it just totally tainted the whole event for him was this it's, raw it's, potato it's now the raw potato convention for him is it but you know, he had a great time. My my kids came down, and uh, even though they weren't particularly interested in some of the the stuff that was going on, they had a wonderful time out messing around. They did jugger. They went into the land room and kept an eye on people. They were talking and chatting. To, you will not get a more friendly environment for having a chat and a natter until the early hours with a bunch of absolute reprobates who love this game. But more importantly, they love chatting and having a laugh and yeah i think i was up uh, one of my fondest memories was i think it was um oh crikey now what was his name david it was a nick davidson uh or, or david nicholson something like that. <laughs> he's on facebook he's gonna i'm getting his name totally wrong but he was sitting quietly at a table we kind of took over for a game of werewolf one night ultimate werewolf and um we just thought oh do you fancy joining in and of course the part of that game is the fact that you just blatantly lie and point the finger at other people <laughs> and in his first round he happened to be the sir and pointed the finger at me telling everybody I was the werewolf oh my god did I unleash hell on him I did as well uh, and uh, I felt bad for it but it was so much fun and he, you know everyone got into the game it was just and that was it that was highlights was those evenings and of course it was Artemis which is brilliant fun if you've not tried it you need to come down and do that it's just a really great place to come down and just try some different things, chat to people about your experiences, hear theirs, get advice, try out Oculus, try out different VR solutions because everyone brings stuff to sh- not not just show off and say, hey, look what I've got, but mm. here, try it. Before you buy this thing, have a shot, talk to me, I'll tell you about the pros and cons that I find mm. and see if it is the device for you and that's invaluable. Yeah, definitely. And now we are looking at ways, I think, this year as well, aren't we, of, of trying to make the the LAN room uh, a bit more integrated with the rest of the... Because I think last year, the you know, the LAN room was kind of a little bit uh, out of the way and people didn't really sort of come and go between them. So we are definitely looking these way this year of making the LAN room much more of a place where people come and go, lots more different events going on in that room um, and going to make it really, going to make it really cool. And of course, Frontier... Um, and obviously this, you know, this past year, um, Julian Gollop. Um, but in terms of the Elite Dangerous content, Frontier hugely supportive of LaveCon, um, and we can't, you know, thank Frontier really enough for all they've done in kind of getting involved in in Lave Radio and the stuff we've done over the course of this last year. It's been fantastic, and we would hope, you know, we would extend the invitation to to Frontier again uh, for 2016, and really hope that some of those guys can come down and kind of sharing the game with, with, with the Lave Radio community. So that'd be amazing. So do go to laveradio.com uh, and check out the tickets page uh, and, and see what's there. Um, we are basically out of time. 
Oh, oh no! I know, it's half past ten. It's, it's outrageous, isn't it? Um, there are <clears throat> CGs. So I just want to cover this before we go. Uh, the Claws, or Klaus, Incorporated Organisation. Um, we at Klaus are Incorporated specialise in bringing joy to the people of this vast and wonderful galaxy. But fulfilling the hopes and dreams of so many is a difficult task. So this year we're increasing experience demand for special gifts. We're asking all of you talented pi- pilots to help us by transporting special gifts from Frost Dock in the Jambalba system to Klausport in the Santa Muerte system. We're willing to offer generous financial incentives to those who help, and we'll even be giving new ships to novice pilots who contribute to our appeal. So any uh, any new players to the game who've got between three and ten hours of total flight time, you might get a free ship out of this new CG. It's quite, that's the Christmas special that is going yeah. to help all the new players get, um, in, obviously the more tiers that we unlock as part of that community goal, the better the ship is that they will then get for free. Now that to me is a real incentive of not playing my new account at all. Because <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to take over over the 10 hours. So I'm just going to leave that until I, I, after that community yeah, goal. I, I realised we should have, um, when Elite was like nine quid or whatever on Steam, we should have just bought one and called the commander Lave Radio. And we could have just had a Lave Radio <laughs> commander. I don't know why we didn't think of that. Well, I think we did. It's just none of, <laughs> we were all too cheap. Because <laughs> then we couldn't land on planets with it. But, you know, that's a small, a small point to the side yeah, anyway. Yeah. And, and the, other, the other community goal that you're going to mention is one that I'd been spoken to by the uh, Canon Interstellar Research Group. Yes who had been trying this community goal for a week and were struggling to get it over Tier 1. Okay. And so they put a, a, a request if we would give a shout-out for this community goal and also out to the truckers and any groups that are out there because the result of this community goal will be that the UA, that the unidentified or artefact or the unknown artefact mystery is going to move on to the next stage. We will okay. get another clue and so this is really, really important, I think, on the way to... Let, let, let's just throw caution to the wind. We need to f- solve this goal. We need to get this goal right up to the top tier to unlock Thargoids. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Um, so is this the one... So we're delivering uh, evacuation... Is this the evacuation shelters to... to yes. Okay. And then the nice thing about this one is that this is only really going to work for Horizons players because Nelson Works is a station on the planet in okay. Dahan. So you need to go and pick up evacuation shelters. Now, there's a great, uh, or the best source for evacuating shelters uh, is a system called Anlave, which is Kobayashi City in Anlave is the great location to go and pick up. Now, that's a, a Coriolis station, so you can put your big ships there, and then if you want to risk landing on the planet, Nelson works, uh, and dock there, and then obviously sign up, and then sell your wares. It's relatively close, it's about 100 uh, light years distance between these two, and they're both very about 100 light years from Jameson Memorial, if you want to go and kitty yourself out of a big ship. We have now, since I put this in the notes earlier on today, crossed Tier 1, so... And we're up to over 1,200 contributors, so that's really, really positive. But we need to get that to Tier 5. Yeah, I mean, do do we want the uh, unknown artefacts to progress? Because the last thing that they did was start shutting down space stations. (laughs) Well, yeah, imagine what you could use them for weapon-wise after this. 
Um, and just to say, Dahan is... I don't know where the... I can't remember where the starting point for the game is anymore now, but I know that Dahan was in the the alpha bubble that we had. Dahan was one of the... That's systems. right. So it's near Iranian and Ibutis and all in and all those sorts of places. So if that's your neck of the woods, particularly, uh, do go and have a look. And close to a, a horizon start point, if I believe that. Is it? Yeah, but it's, I, think I mean, there's, there's there's two community goals. I think the truckers will be getting behind over the next couple of the uh, the next week, um, because well, one we'd like to get that uh, new player ship as good as we can and milk it for as much cash as we can. Now, that's one thing that people don't. If you're new to elite community goals, are a great way to do a small action, a small journey, and benefit with a large payout. Yeah, I made um, five million credits out of the the lave one to sell uh, exploration data, and I only yeah. sold about forty so, records. So I mean, it really these things can be very lucrative. I mean, it's yeah. one of these things. Just keep an eye on them. Uh, go and sign up for it. Uh, if you don't want to do it, just go and sign up for it and keep an eye on it and see whether or not it's worth just even delivering one ton just to be in that bottom ninety percent. Because yeah. if it hits the top tier, that bottom ninety percent can reach as much as half a million, um, and then probably in some circumstances even higher. So it's worth doing it. But if you really want to kind of aim for that top fifteen percent, then it can be twenty five million. 30 million credits uh, just and, and you can make profit as you do it as well and if you see people doing that in the areas send them a message wing up have a laugh meet somebody new and you know expand your friend list absolutely well we are going to call it a night there I think um, I, I kind of it was meant to be our, this was meant to be our kind of Christmas show we have not been very Christmassy I don't think apart from obviously your good self with your knitted beard and Santa hat. <laughs> well, let's, um, let's do some bells then. Yeah, yeah. Because I was I was doing jingle bells all the way along with the the opening music, but I've realised that if my sound was wrong and I was using the wrong microphone, probably nobody heard it. So maybe I'll play some jingle bells over the outro music just to make up for it. Um, so a Merry Christmas to all the commanders. Um, we don't think we're currently having discussions. We're not convinced that there will be a live show next Tuesday. Next Tuesday being the 29th of December. Um, I think most of us are very, very, very AFK. Um, uh, so, but do do look out on Facebook uh, and Twitter and things where we will announce what's going on next week. Um, that's it for another episode of Lave Radio. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, then you can email us at info at laveradio.com. We are on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Lave Radio, and we are at Lave Radio on Twitter. Um, you can join the Skype chat channel by adding Fuzzle 101 to your Skype contacts, or you can join our dedicated TeamSpeak server where commanders come to hang out in chat. That's laveradio.teamspeak3.com. And actually, our TeamSpeak is proving to be a hub for all kinds of elite dangerous events as well not just ours so it's it's a good one to connect to um lave lave radio is recorded uh, live on a tuesday evening at 8 30 p.m gmt at the moment and streamed out on laveradio.com forward slash live um grant do we have any shout outs for people that managed to join you on the planet well, yes, well, we had Commander Bapster, who's been on the planet surface. So we'll just go into that menu. We'll have a look and see. Uh, Ventura joined us. We had Nunya Damn Business, who's in the area. Commander Alien. Uh, loads of people on the Twitch channel having a good old a good old moan at us as well. <laughs> um, come on, buttons. Why are you not already going from window? 
There we go. So we'll have a look and see who do we have in the system. Grand Solo is here as well. Phoenix the Fire, hello. Was that your buggy that I tried to squish? Yes, <laughs> you missed. <laughs> and Commander Arkenboist is kicking around as well. Awesome. Uh, well, and that's all to say from us here at Lave Radio. Uh, we wish you a Merry Christmas if you celebrate Christmas. If you do not celebrate Christmas, enjoy Turkey Day or getting together with family or whatever you do or do not choose to do over the next couple of weeks. Uh, just remember, fly safe. And if you can't do that, fly dangerous. Guys, hold for two seconds, I'll be right back.